Hello, and welcome to Revelation On Demand. I'm your host, J.D. Myers. I'm joined today by Chris Hess. How you doing? I'm doing excellent today, my sir. Let's get this rolling. Yeah, let's get this rolling. So I learned something kind of interesting today. Apparently, we're an eschatology podcast. Did you know that? Eschatology. Could you break down that word for me? Yeah, eschatology is, is the study of the end times. So pretty much what we're doing here, we're just going through the the book of Revelation and studying what the end times look like and what it could possibly mean to us. So we're the only amateur eschatology podcast that I know of on the internet. And I think that's our going to be our claim to fame. Don't you? Absolutely. You know, yeah. but we got, I, that's something that um, makes me feel unique and a little bit uh, duty bound to do so. All right. And then talking about the podcast, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, many people might be thinking at this point, we're chapter 6, there's only 22 chapters in Revelation. Uh, we might be getting a little long in the tooth and running out of episodes, but here's my here's what I'm thinking. I want to keep going on. I want to redo these big episodes here like what we've been doing and make them more professionally produced because the first few podcasts were kind of rough. And uh, so I want to redo these, but before we get to that, I also want to go and look at how other books in the Bible relate to Revelation and what that can help us understand what we need to know today. So that's where I'm thinking we're going to go with this podcast, and any input from our listeners would be great. And then uh, going on to what's going on in the world... Uh, right now, a lot of churches are trying to open back up from COVID and all that. We've still got all this stuff going on with the election and all the craziness that entails. But pretty much the only thing that's changed is that people are trying to get back to regular services now because everyone's been forced to shut down or social distance. So how how's that going over where you live? We don't really have any churches opening up here yet. Is that so? I I didn't think about that with where you are in the world in Colorado. Um, you know, thankfully, Missouri is locked out. We have we have all of our churches running regular services, and we have for quite a while now. The only thing we've had to reinstate was a mask order, or um, you know, put into place. So we went from maskless, you know, social distancing at church to now masking and social distancing at church. But we've had our churches consistently open since, I would say, after the first six or seven weeks of the shutdown. Mm, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, Colorado's pretty locked down still. I'm sure there's a few churches that are meeting, but from what I understood talking to my pastor, that all the regulations that they're putting down on churches, if they want to reopen, make it really hard to reopen. So... That's where we are. Fortunate. Yeah. So you want to want to tell our listeners what happened last episode in case they haven't listened? Yeah. So um, basically, we're with John still. For those of you who have been listening, he's been spiritually transcended to the actual throne room of God. We know that there's 24 thrones that seat next to the throne of God himself. 
and um, they give us a lot of visual descriptions. There's seven lampstands in heaven, too, if you caught that in the first couple episodes. But anyway, most important thing is John has been in this throne room, and he's revealed a specific thing, and that is a lamb, a broken-down lamb upon the throne of God, and then a sealed scroll. Um, basically, we hear in some hearsay that there's seven seals, no one in heaven or earth, or below earth, meaning, you know, anywhere else, can open this sealed scroll except for this supposed figure known as the Lion of Judah. And that was revealed to John, because at first, John's pretty upset. He's like, okay, so this sealed scroll has got to be something that's going to be able to save all of us and save humanity from the wrath of sin. He sees this broken down lamb where God is supposed to be seated and he's just completely distraught. But one of the elders points out to him, that's how you perceive him pretty much. That's how John is seeing him. But that is actually the lion of Judah. And um, basically that bridge of God and Jesus wrapped up into one. And he can unseal that scroll that is pretty much going to be that deal breaker into uh, creating a true bridge between heaven and earth and yeah. cre- uh, reinstating order uh, the way that they were to, is perfect order right. back on to Right. And, and we called the last episode Lion of Judah and we really didn't describe the connection there where John sees Jesus as the slain lamb, which is how we have to know him before we can know him as the Lion of Judah. And this comes back from all the prophecies back in Isaiah and stuff like that, where they they were talking about the Messiah is coming as the Lion of Judah. This is why the Jews had so much trouble accepting Jesus as Messiah, because they didn't see him as this conquering warlord, the Lion of Judah. They seen him, well, they didn't, they thought he was a lunatic, but we see him as, as the sacrifice for our sins that brings us into, uh, a good relationship with God because no one's perfect enough to fully fulfill the law. So that was, they, they see him as the lion of Judah, whereas we will see him as the lamb who was slain in our name. Yeah. This figure that basically to your human eyes, you will see him as a broken down sacrifice looking creature or sacrificial looking creature. And, in truth, in all actuality, he's this magnificent uh, beast, might not be the greatest term, but, you know, a magnificent ruler, Leo the Lion. Yeah, and as for what what forms we'll see in heaven, I think me and my pastor were talking about this, but the spiritual beams don't have any set forms, but however, whatever form they take for whatever role they're playing at the time, you recognize that person as that. So whether you see the lamb that was slain or the lion of Judah, you still recognize those entities as Jesus. You know what I mean? So in, in heaven, there's no fixed physical form and, and the spiritual beings can move between forms as we, we come to see later on in uh, revelation. Yep. Well, so, that catches if, everyone up in, in a certain way. We got we got very philosophical there, though so I like what we did with that. Yeah. So would you be kind enough to read us our scripture? 
Yes, sir. So we are on episode six. So we're at chapter six. We're going to be reading one about, yeah, 17 verses. All righty. Let's get this one going. <clears throat> Revelations chapter six, verse one. I watched as the lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a golden crown. Or he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. His rider was a conqueror bent on conquest. Hope that made sense. Yep. Okay, verse 3. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him, he was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the, living, the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little while longer, until the full number of the fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like a sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth, as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princess, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For their great day, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Amen. I love that. Great. So... We're gonna go back a little bit here and and dig this up. So this is this is the 
the start of what most people consider the Great Tribulation. So this is the, the beginning of the end times, and as we'll go over in the horses, we'll kind of start to piece together what that all means. So this, this prophecy is cyclical. It's happened, it's happening, and it's, ha it's yet to happen again until this ultimate fulfillment. So you'll see a lot of people, when they study the end times, they start trying to link certain events to history. And then they start to try and come up with ways that we may be in the end times right now, or the end times are coming, or, you know, and then you got a lot of these people who start trying to pin down a date, which, from what I understand, just don't even bother because you're going to get caught up just looking at numerology and stuff like that. And it can, it can get crazy. I mean, there's some people who think the world's going to end in uh, 20... 28 I think is the latest one I've heard but let's let's not get too worried about the time because as it's said later in the Bible or by Jesus himself no one knows the time so as that first seal breaks this is the the uh, the rule the conqueror the man on a white horse so the, the white horse is representing how this is the Antichrist, because we will see Christ come later on a white horse as well. So he is he is impersonating Christ, and he is going to bring peace to the earth, and he's going to conquer the earth. So the bow is a representative that he's a hunter, not a true king. When we see Jesus later, he'll come with a sword, which is a sign of kingship. Whereas the bow is a hunter, you'll see this a lot in the Bible, where there's one man with a bow and one man with a sword, and you kind of get this idea of the we are following the people with the sword in these situations. Right, like the double-edged sword that is Jesus's or the Lord's tongue, as um, John had described it, described it in chapter one. Yeah, and uh, of course, with with the the Antichrist riding out on the first horse and bringing uh, conquest to the earth, and this is this is where the idea of peace in the Middle East being the first sign of revelation it comes in, where he's going to bring peace to this war torn area and bring them all to heal under conquest, and then we see. Well, hang on. I got a oh, quick question. Go ahead. So, I mean, what what prompts us precisely to want to be to to want to be like even truly exempt from that? Like, what what's the major driving point of the Antichrist? Where they pretty much just state who he is or what is going on. And just they hint at it, and then they don't say anything as a follow up. Where like every other guy on here with each seal got a commentary, you know, a short commentary afterward, with, like instructions, and they just pretty much cracked open this one and left it as is. I, th I think that is because we'll see later. Uh, the whole book of Revelation isn't necessarily con canonical. So it's not like this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. As we see, we stopped at seal six and what's going to happen is that we'll see the seven, um, seven trumpets and then the seven bowls and all these events are kind of happening 
within the same time. So we're going to see, uh, we're going to see uh, like a more described uh, later on in a different chapter. We're going to see more describe descriptive what like, the Antichrist is doing. Yeah, like a story almost. Yes, because I was a little bit, I, I got a little bit of a jump in me after he's like, okay, then I saw him break open what was it, the fifth seal. No, the sixth seal, as you were saying, uh, the last one that they were that they were opening in this chapter, uh-huh. and the the earth was giving way. I almost was like, is that like a premonition he's experiencing? But no, that's current with like everything that's been going on, or everything like everything's going to layer on top of each other, and we're going to actually see how that overlaps at some point. Yeah, yeah, and it's really really hard to put all the events in some sort of coherent order because it's not written that way so you kind of gotta do this this backwards uh kind of dissecting of the text to get an idea of what this looks like and and you see the same issue like in genesis where you have chapter one which is like the creation of the universe and then chapter two is another creation story which but it's a much more focused one and it, it, it it's not always in order. So we, we got to do this kind of sleuthing. I've done a little bit of research, so I am bringing some knowledge back, back in from later texts. So we just need to know right now, this is the antichrist. He is the first horseman. He is going to, uh, you know, lead everyone to think he is the Messiah and mislead them and put himself in the place where God should be in the quote unquote temple. Right, at least in the eyes of humanity, unless you are, you know, smart enough, and you, or not, not necessarily smart enough. If you receive fair warning from the actual scripture, you'll know it. But to the the mass population, they're going to perceive him as like, you know, wow, you know, this is what this is what the true definition of leadership and what oh, religion yeah. and everything else should be. Yeah, no, he he will be so so convincing of it that everyone will think he's Messiah. It doesn't... It, only the people who are reading their Bibles and understanding what's coming will see this. And it's just as simple as you know reading this chapter or the chapters about the Antichrist. You'll see what he does and then you'll, you'll know better when this does happen. That's... In, the Antichrist is kind of just a sign of these really... Uh, charismatic leaders who are just going to mislead you. So that's that's the smaller cycle that happens just in history. We see these leaders rise up. They lead entire nations into terrible, terrible things. I mean, just look at the last century if you want an example of some antichrist-like leaders. Yeah, I mean... I, I won't disagree with you there. I mean, there's been a lot of people, like you said, you're just breaking down how um, other programs and how the, the mass majority of us eschatologists will break down modern events or, you know, feasible sources and try to interpret it as uh, to what is a biblical meaning and like make it a little more concrete than what is the Bible, which isn't right. But, you know, that's not possible to be more concrete than scripture itself. Right. Right. And just another thing to mention that we'll go over again later, but 
the Antichrist will try to frustrate the appointed times, which in the Jew, if you study Judaism, you learn about the seven feasts, which is Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and he will try to frustrate these events in, in, in the, the Jewish text or the Old Testament as hopefully we'll get to go back over at some point. This is another one of those things that I, I'd like to go back and dig into and, and kind of explain how this is relevant to Revelation and us today. But these these events are yearly. They we they uh, The Jews practice them yearly and they are kind of a, a ritual that embodies the biggest, the bigger picture ritual which is coming the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread and then of course First Fruits was when uh, Christ was resurrected is is kind of the event so I believe that Passover was is supposed to be linked with Christ's birth and then the Feast so the of Passover do you know what the Passover is about? yeah it's it, Passover was when I, w- I was just trying to link it to what uh Christ event would have been the same, but Passover was about where the Jews in Egypt were painting uh, the sacrificial blood over their door frames, and this would be when the angel of death passed over the people who did this uh, ritual sacrifice to God in Egypt. The angel of death passed over these families and killed all the firstborn of anyone who was not given this protection. So... Yeah, and if you if you learn the more you learn about Jesus, he pretty much escaped a massacre as a very very young person, uh, probably around the age of seven or nine years old in Egypt, which was a generational consequence of you know like several generations or whatnot, a generational consequence of the Jews being an exodus of Egypt. Oh wow! So I, I didn't know he was had his own Passover event. And then the the unleavened bread, this is a feast or this is a like a week long celebration where they're cleaning, they're getting out rid of all the old in the house, cleaning out all the the yeast and everything that could cause leavening in the bread because yeast is a natural bacteria that's just in the air. So they would do the spring cleaning, and this is kind of the same idea where Christ comes into Jerusalem and starts cleaning out the churches. This is where we get the ideas of, or this is actually Christ's whole like adult ministry, where he's he's bringing true Christian belief to the churches around. So he's he's cleaning out the churches. This is the idea, and then of course first fruits. This is the day Christ was resurrected. And uh, this is the one where most people think hasn't happened. The one, the event that's going to be Pentecost. This is when uh, the Spirit will come. Or no, this is we. This is us as we accept Christ as our Savior. We get the Spirit. So this is the idea of Pentecost. This is one of the longest celebrations of the calendar. It's seven by seven weeks or forty-nine days. And uh, so most people argue that we're in this time of, like, on the the larger scale, we're in this time of Pentecost. And then the trumpets 
will be when the Antichrist is trying to, or when Antichrist is trying to change. No, this is rapture. Trump says this is rapture, right? This is when Christ returns and kicks off everything, and of course, the Day of Atonement, which is what we're going to go into in the next few chapters. And then the tabernacles, this will be the rebuilding of the perfect world. So, the Antichrist's role is to confuse these appointed times. And then, of course, we go on to the next horse, which is red. And I personally like to think of this one as this, like, fiery red horse. I don't know if you played Skyrim, but that that horse that's on fire in Skyrim, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Okay, I thought it was more of a pigmentation thing, like in the actual hair of the horse. Uh, though you do you, bro. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at this, it says uh, second seal, horse came out, a fiery red one. So, you know, he, he could be a red horse that's on fire. But anyways, this is war, and as as we've talked before about, you know, cataclysmic wars and stuff like that, he has a large sword. So this is the the final war. This is the war that's going to end all wars sort of thing. And uh, that's where you get a lot of people thinking that World War One and World War Two were these sort of warlike events and that possibly World War Three will be the war that the Red Horse horsemen will bring. And then we get the third horseman on the black horse, and he is he is bringer of famine. So whenever there's war in this world, we already get famine and disease, or just famine that comes afterwards. If you look at uh, Germany after World War II, or even after World War One, the the country was just decimated. The, the economy was in shambles. Buildings were ruined, and they just had to take time to rebuild. And a lot of people died just because they didn't have enough to eat. I mean, when the economies collapsed because of a war, it takes a lot of time to get food rolling again, and that causes famine. So, and right, he's carrying these scales, and and an interesting. I was. It says, uh, what was it? Let me go back up here. Third seal. He says uh, two pounds of wheat for days. Go ahead. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a, a voice among the four living creatures saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. All right, so what's talking about there is that uh, two pounds of wheat or six pounds of barley is the average amount of food people would need every day just to survive. So this is like survival. You will work every day just to survive is what this is saying. And then it says, do not damage the oil and the wine because the oil and wine are representations of God's grace. So... Even during this time, when when hell on earth is being unleashed, God will not pull back His grace. So even during this the time of tribulation, you will still be able to get God's grace. So this is where you get the the pre-trip, post-trip, 
sort of stuff where people think believers won't be during the time of Revelation, or they will be. I kind of think it's more of a mixed bag where there's going to be some people who will have to go through the tribulation to come to Christ, whereas there's going to be plenty of people who, especially the people who have died before and had a relationship with Christ and and um, actually had gained entrance to heaven before, they won't experience tribulation. But anyone who makes it past the beginning of tribulation is going to have to deal with tribulation. And then I think there will still be people who are saved during that time. I just think it's going to be a lot harder for those people, you know? Fair enough. And then I need like a a sound bite. That's like Greek, Greek distortion alert or something like that. Because we come to the fourth horse, which is the pale horse, and a lot of people are thinking, you know, like this pale gray horse. Whereas the Greek actually is taught is the word chloros, which is talking about like a pale green. It was often referred to, it was used in a term for seasickness at the time. You turn green or you look pale. We still have those sayings today. So this horse is actually kind of the sickly green. It's not... It's not gray, so that has a lot of interesting, you know, holdover with symbology today. We, when you see a sickly green, you think uh, kind of, you know, sickness and and virulence, and you you kind of still have those kind of um, symbology still today, which is interesting. But there was something that I didn't even know because I always thought it was a pale horse until I started digging into the Greek, and then. Here we have this this root word chloros, which we find even today in stuff like chloroplasts and chlorophyll, which usually is referring to a green. Right, chlorophyll being uh, like what you find in trees and uh, in certain vegetables and stuff. So if your parents ever told you don't eat too much, well, carrots would be a different example. Don't let's say don't eat too many uh, green beans or string beans because you'll turn green. Well, that's from the chlorophyll that is in the actual pigment of that plant. Yeah, and that's what causes them to catch sunlight and be able to turn sunlight into food. Uh, I don't know about eating too much, changing your skin color, but this is this is just talking about like a sickly color. So, which I thought was interesting with. This being the rider of death, pestilence, disease, and then an interesting bit there it says the beasts of the earth. I heard a new, or I heard someone talking about this. And it's like you know, it doesn't just mean like your your boars and your lions and your tigers and your bears. Oh my! It also can refer to the living organisms, the 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 bacteria and the viruses. They also count as beasts of the earth. So. Very well, this this could be, you know, like what we're dealing with with COVID. It could be a sickness that is unleashed upon the earth, not just like animals wildly tearing you apart. So, we will go over this some other day. The, the Olivet Discourses is specifically where Jesus was talking about the end times. There was a few things in here that was interesting. Uh, that was in the Olivet Discourses, but we don't 
quite have time to go through all those today, so I'm just going to put a footnote in here that we will come back and see what Jesus has to say about the end times, because there's um, two chapters in Matthews, one in Mark and one in Luke, just Jesus straight up talking about the end days. So I feel like that'd be a great few episodes to go over and see what he was talking about and see how it relates to uh, what we've studied so far. But probably a future episode after we get done with this this general walkthrough. Right, and if, if you if you're bored enough, uh, or like you know, if you, you want to put more research into this too, it's just talking about the four parables. You look them up, um, and it's just basically like the, the most basic explanation of it is this is what is to be after the Antichrist has returned, and it is Jesus's duty now to return. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we see the fifth seal and the people who are under the altar, right? And they say, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So these are all the people who died in the Lord's name before and during uh, Revelation, or, yeah, before and during Tribulation. These are the people who died for some reason due to their faith. This would be people who are executed because they won't renounce Christ. This would be people who are you know, out on mission and they die trying to carry out God's word. This would be martyrs, pretty much, what we're talking about. Uh. And and they're they're crying out to the Lord, you know, avenge us. And of course, the Lord, the God is like, yeah, just wait on a minute, guys. It's all kicking off, you know. We'll 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 get there. They will pay for what they've done. It's being unleashed upon the earth right now, you know. So he's he's telling them to hang on because not everyone is saved yet. And that's where I get this idea that even during tribulation there's people who are going to be saved. There's people who are going to proclaim the Lord's name during this time. They're going to be killed because of their faith in Christ. And they too need to be gathered in before Christ or the Lord can finally wipe clean the earth and start building anew. Uh-huh. So and that that would be seal 5 for sure. Yeah, no, and that, that that was just this is where you get to see the martyrs now and and they come into the picture. And then 6. So this one's an interesting one as a science geek, we have a theory called the polar reversal. I don't know if you've heard of this, Chris, have you? Mhm. Yeah. So what happens basically is that scientists have theorized that the North and the South Pole will just suddenly change positions. So what happens when this this shift happens is that the magnetic it's not it's not like it just reverses like they don't move. These poles radically shift their positions on the earth. So this would this would drive all of our electronics haywire because the massive shift in the electromagnetic field would just wreak havoc. And of course that moves the tectonic plates. If that happened, it would look like the stars were falling out of the sky because we'd suddenly shift our uh, orbit or not our orbit. The rotation of the earth would wobble violently. So instead of your normal 
the normal patterns of scar- stars in the sky, they would violently shift, especially if it was at night. This would cause tsunamis and uh, earthquakes, and it'd just be a cataclysmic event. So this is where I bring science to this. I, this sounds a lot like this polar shift event, and a lot of people have you know linked this. But it's just an interesting theory that could be a good way for us to describe what this sixth seal is talking about, you know. So there's there's a lot of good resources online if you're curious what a polar shift looks like and what, what that all entails. So That is a peculiar application and it does seem relative. Yeah. So then then as we are rounding up here at the back end, we've got the kings of the earth, the princes general, the rich, the mighty, all the people who are on the earth and uh, who are living in sin and, and, you know, lost in their ways. They're hiding in the mountains and under the rocks and asking to be saved by the earth, I guess, from the wrath of God, which, you know, I don't know if you thought about this at all, but there's people being gathered at this time still to Christ people. So did they not even, are they so rooted in their sin and lost in their ways that this wouldn't even come across to them? But maybe if they just asked for forgiveness from the Lord or repented truly for their evil ways that they wouldn't get saved, you know, like, like how far gone would you have to be to be at the point where you just couldn't ask for forgiveness? You know, that's that's an interesting perspective, because even after every cataclysmic, uh, cataclysmic event, you're still going to have those people, and I would say a wide variety of them, too, that are just completely unconvinced that anything could be happening in the way it is. So they're going to want to rely on their quote-unquote intuition, which is part of our flesh being tainted. We went over that a few episodes ago, or maybe we were talking about this one day. But anyway, that the misconception thing where they're still like, no, I'm, I'm I gotta cling on to what I perceive to be common sense and logic. That is the only way I will survive, and that's why they're relying on the actual resource of the earth. We, I, I know that I will be able to survive from wrath itself from God if I just believe in this one thing that I'm clutching onto, and they can't let that go to just let themselves be one with the Lord, and that's just how some people are. Yeah, and and again, it's it's talking about the mountains and the rocks falling on people, which is just these worldly objects that they are begging to protect them. This comes back to idolatry and and you know putting things before God, sort of idea. And it's just interesting that they that John used this kind of analogy here, saying. Even the rocks and the mountains can't save you. Why else? What else would you put your faith in, other than God? So, you, you've got these people who who will cling on to this whatever it is. I mean, you see people like this today where they they cling on to wealth or fame or uh, Lord knows all sorts of other things that you can put in the place of worship. Where as Christians. We know we're, we're, we're good. We put God in his rightful place of worship. So I, I just, to think about how stuck these people are, just it, it makes me sad, honestly, you know, 
to to think that these people will never be free of their their sin, you know? Well, you also got to remember though, bro. Um some a lot of that stuff though, if we when we look into the actual scripture is so much of that you could say for the average adult that still can't let go of that sort of thing, they've subjected themselves to that. And I'm not saying anyone or like everyone who's ever done that is irredeemable. Everyone is going to be redeemable, bottom line. But, you know, for the people that need to be or that feel like they should be redeemed beforehand, I mean, or that you want to redeem yourself to, to get them closer to God, I mean, these people are eventually going to reach that point regardless. Hmm. But you really do have to have that drive at some point. Yeah, and not to get into the Calvinism, Arminianism debate or anything like that, but we believe that you can only be saved through Christ. So you can't save yourself. However, I believe you can respond to Christ. And you have to give yourself up to Christ to be saved. There's right. no, you, you can't be good for salvation. You can't, baptism's not going to save you. It, it's, you have to give yourself up to Christ. That is the only choice you can make that will save you. Prior to every knee bowing for the Lord, which is literally going to happen where every living creature, every being, heaven, earth, hell, is going to, bend on one knee for the Lord. That's going to happen someday. But prior to then, because we do live in a fallen world where danger is a real thing mm -hmm. and you might want to confront that. I mean, it's, it it just makes so much more sense that way. But um, I guess the best way to put it in English is it's a phrase I like to use is dead set. You know, there's no way that these people can ever gonna, they don't want to bring themselves to a certain point where they can change because they are that set in their ways from the consequences of their actions. I, I like the way you put that. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we close this up? No, sir. I uh, love doing this as always with you. Yeah. Curious stuff. Yeah. We'll, we'll go into chapter seven next week or not next week, but the week after uh, just a reminder, this is a biweekly podcast. Every other week we record, we edit, we put this together and we try and get it out by that Sunday. So every other Sunday, you should check your feed. There should be a new episode. So thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand. Please like, share, and subscribe whatever, wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments or questions or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com or on Facebook. You just find us, Revelation On Demand. God bless you, and see you next time.